Writing well is the pursuit of a lifetime. You may be at mile marker one of this wonderful life journey and thinking for the first time about embracing the life of a writer. Or maybe you're further along and ready to publish some of your ideas. I'm Melissa Parks with Dave Getz, and we are fellow travelers on this extended road trip to improve our writing and publish our ideas. We hope this podcast helps you make progress on your writing journey. Now, let's buckle up and write. know what a developmental edit is? And more importantly, are you ready for a developmental edit? Today, Dave and I are diving deep into the world of developmental editing, specifically addressing why do some writers resist it? It's no secret that handing your work over to an editor, exposing it to scrutiny and critique can be daunting. You've poured your heart and soul into your work And the thought of someone suggesting changes or pointing out flaws can trigger feelings of vulnerability and defensiveness. However, it's important to remember that developmental editing is not about tearing down your work or diminishing your voice as a writer. On the contrary, it's a collaborative process aimed at enhancing your manuscript's potential and ensuring it resonates with readers. Developmental editors are there to be your allies, helping you shape your manuscript into its strongest and most impactful version. Every writer, no matter how experienced or talented, can benefit from an outside perspective. Both Dave and I crave a developmental edit. In today's episode, we will provide guidance on how to approach developmental editing with an open mind and embrace the opportunities it presents. We'll also share some common myths, share success stories, and empower you to see the value in embracing feedback and constructive criticism. So if you've ever felt resistant to the idea of developmental editing, stay tuned. But before we get started, Dave, let's back up and talk about where we've made progress this week. Actually, where have we made progress in the past few months? Because you and I haven't done a podcast together in a very long time. So where have you made progress? Before I say that, I've missed doing podcast with just you and me. And I will say that the ones that podcasts that we've had, which our editor and production manager, Allison has landed for us have been absolutely outstanding, but I am glad to do this today. So where have I made progress? So this is, this is such a suburban homeowner thing. So I have purchased the first three cans of paint that I will need to to repaint our house. And so I purchased the first three because they're $50 a gallon, right, for this paint. And I will probably need eight gallons. So I thought, hey, let's just start small. And, And so the progress is that I've purchased the paint, but my son just graduated from college and he is home and he is working on his internship to complete all of his environmental science requirements. And so he may have a little time this summer, so I may try to coerce him into painting the house. But for right now, I've purchased the paint. That is the progress. Well, good luck with that. Last summer, we decided we're going to paint our windows because we live in this old house and the the window panes are peeling paint. We look like the ghetto house on the block. And every time I pull into the driveway, I'm like, we've got to paint that. 
And so last year I bought two cans of paint and thought that that was progress and we were going to paint our windows and we did not paint our windows. They still look peely and dilapidated and horrible. So I hope that you make better progress than I did last summer. And hopefully I'll actually get around to painting this summer and maybe I'll coerce my son as well. All right. So my progress, I stopped drinking Diet Coke six weeks ago, which if you know me is a major, major deal because I was a Diet Coke addict specifically. I drank so much Diet Coke because I never really enjoyed water. And I'm actually not opposed to Diet Coke drinkers. Lots of people say you're going to die from it. And I don't necessarily think that that's true, but it was becoming an addiction in my life. And I decided I just need to quit. And so I stopped drinking it. It's been six weeks and I don't know if I feel much better, but I do feel (laughs) more in control of my life, which is a, it's a wonderful thing to realize that you can say no to something. So I think that that's the progress. And it's given me a lot of motivation to think about what other small things I can eliminate from my diet that aren't the healthiest for me that I can replace with healthier options. So anyway, I guess the real progress is I'm drinking water and I never drink water before. I'm not drinking gallons like I should, but I'm drinking water and not Diet Coke. So progress, progress. That is huge progress. I think anytime you can discipline yourself to take out a habit, and even if it's not like the worst habit, it's not like you're drinking a case of beer every day, right? So I'm just excited that you're doing that. So let us know if you find out if you if you find it it changes your life in a revolutionary yeah, way. I, I keep on I keep on waiting for it to do something wonderful, like maybe I'll lose some weight or my skin yeah. will look less aged or something. But so far, <laughs> no, nothing physical has really happened. All right. Well, I'm really excited about our topic today, Dave. We have a special passion for developmental editing. That's what our background is in. We really love helping writers with the developmental editing process and helping them see their manuscripts in new ways and make progress. But I wanted you to start out by sharing a story that you heard recently about somebody who really benefited from a developmental edit. How about we start there? I have a friend who who was a senior vice president of one of the top five publishing houses in the world. And so he acquired and edited spirituality books, self-help books, kind of philosophy books. And he actually oversaw the C.S. Lewis Uber that was published over the, his publishing house published all of C.S. Lewis's books, those of you who are familiar with him. But anyway, he is now semi-retired and is doing freelance developmental editing. He also does some ghostwriting. And so an agent called him up the other day, and this agent is a friend of his because of his past work with his publishing house, and said, listen, we've got this author, and she's from Columbia University, you know, that elite Ivy League school. And she's a journalist, so she's a great writer. She has submitted a manuscript and submitted it. We already submitted it to the publishing house, but she was expecting some real feedback and she got none. The editor there said, oh, this looks great. We'll just move it on down the pipe. And she said, absolutely not. So he said, hey, you know, my, to my friend, he said, hey, can you, we'll pay you some money. Can you go through and do a developmental edit for her? So my friend took her manuscript and began working directly with her. So here's this veteran writer, Columbia University professor, 
very, very successful. And she was writing a book about AI and its effects in human resources. And so in his work with her, right away, he caught that the book wasn't positioned correctly with its book thesis. So that's one of the things that developmental editors do. Often, if they're good, they will really narrow the thesis and, and give it more focus. He did that. In addition, he made quite a few recommendations throughout the manuscript. My point with all this is that she was nothing but grateful. And she was so grateful that she said to him, listen, when I do my next book, I want you to be, do the developmental editing for it. So the point is, I think our first point here is we talk about is who needs a developmental edit? And the answer is everybody, and especially new writers. Well, I would say everybody does, but if you're a new writer, developmental editing is essential to writing the best book that you can write. And that's simply because as good of a writer as you might be, you don't see what a developmental editor sees. You don't see the big picture. Sometimes you're so immersed in it that you aren't thinking about your audience like you should be. And you're not maybe thinking about what other books have done on the subject or how other books have been structured around the subject and maybe even how it, the idea should actually unfold. Like the example you just mentioned, Dave, there might be a better way, a more compelling way to let your idea unfold. And that has to do with where you position your thesis in your book or even what your thesis is. So a developmental editor really has this professional expertise and insight that you don't have. And they're the ones that are going to make your writing connect with your audience. That is a great point. And I think we all need it because we can't see a developmental editor can see. And by the way, this is a specific skill. And so it's a specific skill that certain people have or have developed over time. So your project needs a developmental editor, pure and simple. We should talk about what it's not. What is a developmental edit? What isn't it? So there are different kinds of editing that you all probably are familiar with. There's a line edit, there's a copy edit, and there's proofing. That is not developmental editing. All of those things happen after a developmental edit. The developmental edit is really at the front end of your project as you're trying to make the structure work and the idea flow. As your ideas solidify, you, you rework some of your chapters. It's really about the overall moving pieces of the work and how it is unfolding and connecting with your reader. The line edit, the copy edit, the proofing, that all happens at the end once you have your first draft done. That is so good. And I love the way you talk about developmental editing, helping focus on how your book unfolds and the logic of your book. And, and we'll talk about that in more in depth. But here's who cannot give you a developmental edit. Your mom. Your mom cannot give you a developmental edit, nor can your friends. They just simply can't they are most likely not the readers of your book, like the ultimate readers that you're actually writing for. Most likely your writing group can't do that either. They don't have the developmental edit skill. What they can do is help with copy editing, proofing, hey, this doesn't make sense to me, but they can't really do what's 
another kind of a synonym of developmental editing is content editing, but the real word is developmental editing because it also looks at the big picture, it looks at thesis, it looks at flow. So with rare exception, only a developmental editor can give you a professional, well, can give you professional advice on how to make changes. And, and by the way, when you get a developmental edit, it demands a rewrite. It always demands a rewrite. So you should expect that. What I love about the word developmental is the word that it's rooted in, which is development, which insinuates that what you're working on is not in its final stage. It still is developing. And I think as writers, we tend to think that we have an idea and it's all going to come out in one burp. You know, we have this idea of first chapter, second chapter, third chapter, fourth chapter, whatever. And we, and we have idea of what the structure is going to be. And these chapters are just going to come out and then we're going to be done. But there's so many times in the middle of the book where we lose our way, or there are times at the end where you're like, man, that didn't come together. Like, I think I've really, I don't even know what I'm trying to say in this moment or or if I've achieved what I've wanted to achieve. So whether you're in the middle of the of the book developing or at the end and you're realizing I haven't developed this idea well enough, a developmental editor is going to help you develop to mature your idea, to mature your writing so that it is the best that it can be so that it will connect with your readers. Well, you just said something that I thought was really important. I think we should touch upon like, when do you need this? I think there may be two methods. One is you, you've created the first draft and then you engage a professional developmental editor to review that and give you suggestions. That's one way to do that. That aligns with the story I told about the woman who had completed the book and then submitted it. The editor said, well, it was fine, but she realized, no, it needed a developmental editor. So maybe that wasn't even her first draft. That was her final draft or at least the one submitted to the agent, which then got submitted, obviously, to the publisher. You can get developmental editing along the way, so you get that feedback along the way. So there were two major developmental edits that I had to do, three actually, when I wrote my book, Death by Suburb, and I published that with HarperCollins. And one was there was a chapter missing. As I, I, as I wrote the book, I had to go back and insert a chapter there was a section in one of the chapters that needed to be an entire chapter as opposed to just a section. So that was one thing. So that, that demanded some serious rewriting on my part. Another was I needed to add better illustrations that supported my points better. This was a book that was targeted to suburban moms primarily. And yet some of my examples and illustrations came from older people meaning older, meaning in their 50s and 60s, and they should have been families in their 30s and 40s. And my editor caught that and said, listen, if you want to really make this more practical, you need to get the right, the right illustrations that focus on the, on the right people. And that had to do with audience, right? And then the final one was tone. There was some language that I was using early on that they wanted me to correct. And, and so all three of those were really helpful in producing the book. I'll mention that when I was writing for Blue Market Style magazine, there was a pivotal moment where I received developmental editing on one of my articles. It was complete. I thought it was a good article. It was tight. It was it was well written. But she came back and she said that the lead was completely wrong. I had led with the cliche, which was a homeowner takes a rundown house and rehabs it, which is just a cliche in the home decorating 
renovating world. And so she said, you need to find the buried lead. And so that was a big deal for me because she showed me that a lead shouldn't be a cliche. And that was developmental on my part. I then took that experience to my writing moving forward, thinking about, okay, what is not cliche with my writing? So I would say even developmental editing can help you on future projects because it points out kind of blind spots that you have in your patterns of writing that you might take from project to project. It's really, really helpful. I'll also mention, Dave, that we work with writers in a developmental way as early as the idea formation stage. And we then work with them chapter by chapter, or we work with them in the middle of, of their, of their book project. And sometimes we work with them once they've completed and we do a, a comprehensive developmental edit all at once. But like you said, developmental editing can happen in a multitude of ways. It's not just this, this one thing that happens at the end of the completion of your manuscript. In many publishing houses today, there is this huge expectation that you're going to do a rewrite even after you think that the book has been completed. And so the more sophisticated the publishing house, the greater the expectation that you will be doing a rewrite after we do a a developmental edit and review of your book. Let me back up though, Dave, because the example that you led with, they did not give her developmental feedback. So I'm wondering if some advice buried in this conversation might be, if you're not getting any developmental feedback from your publisher, then push for it because there's always room for improvement and you should be asking for for help because no manuscript goes to the publisher unless you've had a good developmental edit beforehand. Right. Perfect. That is a great point. I think that that actually is a really great point. If you take nothing, if our audience takes nothing away from this podcast, but what you just said, you have to fight for that if you're not getting that. And this was a traditional publisher that kind of breezed through her manuscript. So it can happen even with traditional publishers, but I'm sure it happens frequently with what they call an indie publisher or a hybrid publisher. So you pay and you're expecting to pay for professional, but if they're only giving you copy editing and line editing and not really working on the overall structure, which we're going to talk about, what is a developmental edit? Or even in your self-publishing, if you're going to do it yourself, you do need to hire a developmental editor if you want to make that book the best it can be. You need to fight for that if it's not being offered to you as part of some package that you have with your publishing house. All right. So you mentioned it. We're going to talk about what developmental editing actually is, what it actually covers. And I loved the phrase that you use. It's a meta edit. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? So I think with a meta, the word meta means this overarching or comprehensive or transcending. And it's, it's almost like you get, it's almost like God looks at your manuscript from this big picture perspective and says, hey, I see this, this, and this. You could improve this. It's not God. But it's this, <laughs> it's this third eye, right? It's this third perspective. And it's not just someone who is a reader, right? It's somebody who knows how books should be put together and how they should flow. So it really does focus on the big picture, focuses on content, structure, and style. Why don't you just list, you've listed these before, and I think that they're really helpful 
when you think about developmental editing, what it all includes? First of all, developmental editing is a tongue twister. I've been it stumbling is. across on that word all, <laughs> all episode. So there are a variety of things that a developmental edit should cover, and that's the structure. We've already talked about that on numerous occasions here in this episode, is the overall structure of the manuscript effective? Does the flow of the information or plot make sense, depending on if it's nonfiction or fiction? Does it engage the reader? Is there enough tension? Is there, is there enough to keep the reader moving from page to page, chapter to chapter? Content, is the content clear, accurate, and complete? Are there any gaps that need to be filled in? Does the content align with the audience needs and expectations? And I think that that's what your editor pointed out for you, Dave, when he asked you to rewrite couple of those stories. Characters and dialogue for fiction. Are the characters well-developed and consistent? Is the dialogue natural and believable? Are the relationships between characters well-portrayed? We're working with quite a few fiction writers now, and this is a big deal. The believability of the characters, their dialogue, is the dialogue believable? Are the relationships believable? Are things unfolding too quickly between the characters? And so An outsider sees that when you're in the midst of it, you know what's you are so familiar with the characters that you fill in the gaps just emotionally and kind of intuitively. But the reader doesn't have you to fill in the gaps unless you actually write for them. So there's that whole component that an editor, a developmental editor will point out. Theme and style for fiction is the theme of the story clear? Is the author's writing style effective and engaging? And I would say for nonfiction, is your thesis clear? Are you repeating the the thesis in different ways throughout your your entire manuscript pacing and tension for fiction does the story maintain an appropriate pace is there sufficient tension to keep readers engaged this is a big deal if there's not tension and not the type of like is she going to die type tension but just tension where there are stakes that engage the reader if there isn't that then you're going to lose your reader so you've got to keep that going throughout the entire manuscript. Voice and tone. Does the author's voice come through clearly? Is the tone of the manuscript consistent and suitable for the intended audience? Dave, do you have an example of that? I'd like to make the application for nonfiction writers, for example. Let's say you are a speaker. You're some sort of thought leader. You've done blogs. You've done articles. You've done PowerPoints. And you think, hey, I'd like to write a book. And so your first thought is, hey, I've got all this content. I can repurpose it and use it in the book. So when you start to structure your book, you start to create chapters and you throw all this content into the chapters and you try to massage that into a book. And what happens is that the tone is all over the place. The tone in your blog is different from the tone in your article. And you use different language in PowerPoint that you might use that you do, let's say, in your speaker notes, you're trying to incorporate that. So a developmental editor would catch that and would say, okay, how do we smooth this over? How do we make this tone consistent so it's not disjointed, like I'm hopping and skipping from one author to another? I would also say the same is true for people who want to take a dissertation, for instance, and make it into a more popular book. The tone of that, they may slip into the academic (laughs) dissertation tone on on occasion when they're trying to write more popularly. Or on occasion, people might write too informally, too folksy, 
when in fact the audience demands a little bit more sophistication. And so it's finding that tone that is consistent throughout. Those are really good examples, Dave. Thanks for putting those <laughs> together for our audience. Let's do one more on fiction. So often with fiction, you have the narrator's voice and that narrator's voice needs to be consistent throughout the fiction. So if you're writing it from an omniscient narrator point of view, then your voice tends to be, the tone in the voice needs to be consistent with that omniscient narrator. And if you're writing it only from the third person perspective, like that needs to be consistent. So even with fiction or especially with fiction, a developmental editor will catch when you start to slip into a different voice. And that has to do with the final thing that developmental editors help you with, which is point of view. And this is something that we work a lot on with our fiction writers, especially because many of them work from that omniscient perspective, but they're really telling the story from one character's perspective. And suddenly they're telling it from another character's perspective. And it's so it's so alarming and jarring that you're like, who, whose view am I supposed to be looking at this through? So that's something that a developmental editor will point out and help you create some mastery over. It's just, it's an intense, intense engagement working with a developmental editor and it can make you feel like, am I doing anything right? But I think in those moments, you just have to trust that what the editor is pointing out comes from their professional expertise and that they want to help you make it better. Melissa, so tell me, how did you feel when that editor identified that you had buried the lead and that you had started the piece with a cliche? Like, was it a gut punch? I mean, how did you deal with that? Of course, you always want to make your editor happy, right? You, you want to hit a home run the first try, but I've come from a background of kind of being beaten up by you editorially, <laughs> Dave, that I really expect to get a, a harsh developmental edit. And I really actually crave it because I know, like the woman that you alluded to earlier, that I know my writing is not where it needs to be with that first draft. I know it can be better. I know that I can improve. So while I was disappointed that I didn't get it right. And like, oh man, how did I not see that? You do a little bit of, you know, beating yourself up. But then I was so grateful and I reworked it. It was work to rework it because whenever you get a heavy developmental edit like that, everything comes undone and you have to change things around completely because the structure suddenly falls apart because what you're leading with is different. So everything that follows is going to be different. And so it was hard work going back and I was kind of like, this is going to be another few hours of time and I'm kind of <laughs> over it. But I was so happy with the way it turned out. So it can just be a mixed bag of feelings, but I trusted the editor. And I think that that's my hope for, for people who are listening to this is trust your developmental editor as hard as it is. They're not saying you're a bad writer. They're saying we want you to improve and we know that you can. And that really brings us to our next point, which is developmental editing is collaborative. And just as you said, if you have a professional and if you have somebody who's competent, this editor will provide feedback and suggestions. And while you're the one that's doing the work, you have to own it, make the changes, 
this person is your is supporting you in this. It's not hostile on any level. But I do think that developmental editing is different in kind from light editing, copy editing, and proofing because it is collaborative, right? So, you know, usually with line editing, proofing, and copy editing, the editor is actually fixing something and not coming back to you. They just do it, right? And they're fixing repetition, grammar issues, spelling. But that's different for developmental editing. So developmental editing is collaborative. It is a back and forth where you're asking questions and, and it's very dynamic. Right. And it can cover, like we said earlier, it can cover a short period or a long period, depending on when you engage your developmental editor, whether it's at the beginning of a project or at the end of the project. And it also depends on how many changes are made, right? So the duration of which you engage in this collaborative relationship really is dependent upon just how much work your your manuscript needs and how much help you're willing to receive from your editor. Some manuscripts would require extensive revisions, and that will extend the period that a writer works with an editor. But Dave, I think our next point is that writers often resist developmental editing because they are shocked by what it really is. And we're hoping to be demystifying some of that now so that when you get a developmental edit, it's not as shocking. You don't want to go roll up and cry and give up your dream of writing a book. Why is it so hard for people and why do they resist developmental editing? We've worked with some authors who do resist developmental editing. Well, I think it's rare, right? Very rarely are people actually asked to make these substantive changes. So we often hear people say, I've got a great editor. She's so good at catching punctuation and grammatical errors. I'm thinking, do you really have a good editor or do you have a good proofer, right? Or a copy editor? So it's just that I do think developmental editing is rare and most of us have never experienced it. And so if you've never experienced it, it is a shock because you have two things. I remember with my writing, uh, Death by Suburb, you have kind of two emotions. One is you're proud of what you've done. You think it's really good. And then you think it's really bad. You have both of those, (laughs) right? So if they say, all I heard when they wanted me to do a rewrite was it sucks. It's all I heard not, it's really good and you need to improve it here, here, and here. And so I think the shock is, one, it's rare. A developmental editor will make substantial recommendations. And in fact, if they aren't chunky, that might be a signal that what you have is a line editor or a copy editor and not really a developmental editor. That's a great nugget of advice. Even writers, though, who understand what a developmental edit is and they raise their hand, they say, I definitely want this. Even sometimes those writers resist the recommendations and they go on the defense. And it's, it's, it's always shocking to me. And in some ways, in some ways it's not because I know it's a defensive mechanism to protect, to protect ourselves and to protect what we've written. But The defensiveness usually manifests as arguing or defending the way something is written. Like, well, you just don't understand what I'm trying to say creatively. This is what I'm trying to say. You don't understand, which is always a red flag, because if an editor isn't understanding what you're trying to say, then how is the reader going to understand what you're trying to say? That is such a good point. If an editor is muddy and like scratching his or her head, 
that's a good signal that your work needs revision. Sometimes people are just really emotionally attached with an idea. They've sat with the idea for so long and they have it in their mind. This is the way it's going to unfold. I have these chapters, I have these categories, and this is it. And so when they have somebody challenge that for the first time, it's really, really difficult for them to undo it. And so they become defensive at all costs and they say, well, you're just not getting this. This is what I mean. And it won't work that way because A, B, C, or D. Have you ran into that, Dave? Absolutely. And I think we should just say, if you're defensive, you're normal. If you're defensive, you're normal. We're all defensive and we feel that. That is, to me, it's a natural reaction. It's normal to feel defensive of your writing. But at some point, we need to be able to step back and objectively take in what the editor is recommending. I mean, that's why you ask them for help. So we worked with a ton of writers through the years. Several years ago, I worked with an author who had written a lot, had, been, had written in publications, had written a bunch of books. But when we started working on this book project and I made recommendations, it was as if he had never heard a developmental edit or a recommendation. And he was really shocked and he was very, very defensive. And fortunately, we were able to work through all that and he was able to make the changes. And I think the developmental editor also has to be careful in how he or she is making the recommendations. But sometimes the reason we struggle to take criticism is that we're anxious to get the book project done. And I would say to you, slow down. Don't produce something quickly that within three or four years you'll be ashamed of. So slow down, do the rewrite, grapple with the recommendations. It will make a big difference in the quality of the book and what you're proud of. So let's move into this next section. We're getting close to the end here. And that is how do you move past the shock of a developmental edit? And I think the first thing to do is remember that if you've hired a professional developmental editor, then your first impulse should be to accept the recommendations because they are experts. They have been trained. They have experience. They know what they're doing, right? <laughs> Just think of like any, any professional that you would go to for expert help. You wouldn't go to a doctor and say, no, I'm not going to take that medicine, even though it's been proven to help, right? You, you expect, you go to a professional for their advice and their help and you take their recommendations. So if you've hired a professional, trust them. What else would you add to that, Dave? Well, just to build on that, I would resist the temptation to argue with him or her. Now, that doesn't mean that 100% of every suggestion is going to be right. But if you find that you're accepting less than 50% of the recommendations, I would probably say 75% really, if you're rejecting all those, you should simply fire the editor and go back and write it on your own and you get what you get. There's a point in which they won't be able to help you if you're going to continue to argue and reject what they're offering. The other piece of advice is to read the feedback objectively. And this is so hard, especially for somebody like me, who is a very feeling subjective type of person. When you receive feedback from your developmental editor, approach it with an open mind, read through the comments and suggestions carefully, take a few deep breaths. And then keep in mind that the editor's goal is to help improve your work and really think about what would happen to my manuscript if I made even one of these changes. And maybe just start 
one recommendation at a time. So it doesn't feel completely overwhelming. And then as soon as you build some momentum and you see it improving, suddenly you say, oh, maybe this developmental editor has has something good in mind for me. But I think it's really important to step back, be objective, take a deep breath, and then really read through the comments carefully. I also think you should identify patterns. Like often, let's say there are 10 recommendations. Probably five of them, five out of the 10 are related in some way. So if you fix one, you can go downstream and fix all the other ones. They may not be 10 separate recommendations. And so look for those patterns in the editor's feedback. So this can also identify areas where you consistently have a problem in this area. And it's, it's a way to learn. The way you learn to write is not just by writing alone and in writer's groups. It's when you get professional red lines or professional feedback. So take that feedback and figure out a way to make the changes, but then add that to your writing repertoire, so to speak. I mean, those skills that you learned in rewriting based on the editor's recommendation. I'll give you an example. I was doing a developmental edit of a writer's first draft of her manuscript, and she tended to use ellipses a lot throughout her entire manuscript. And it created this really strange cadence. And so I started to circle them, you know, like you're doing this again. And there was also a repetition of one phrase that she used repeatedly over and over and over again. And so I I pointed those, that's an example of identifying patterns, right? And you don't see it when you're immersed in it because you're, you're just writing, right? And nobody's ever flagged this in her writing before. And so I flagged it and she's like, oh my, I never noticed that before. And I recently read another draft of her writing and she had taken out all those ellipses and it is a much crisper read. It just reads so much better. (laughs) So that's an example of a pattern that somebody may use in their writing. It may just be a punctuation that creates a strange cadence that you're not aware of. Or maybe the way you use quotes is is jarring and not doesn't really move your move your narrative or your ideas forward. In addition, I think we ask questions for clarification. Just don't accept everything. Talk about exactly what you're thinking about. Well, why why did I do this? Why well, did this because of this? And that editor should be able to give you a good reason why there needs to be more, it needs to be changed, the movement needs to be stronger, maybe uh, your fifth chapter needs to be actually your thesis chapter, your first chapter. All these meta-level things that we're talking about. The other thing is to, again, this is your manuscript, right? This is your book. So seek additional opinions. And it's always kind of messy when you do that, because if you do somebody who is your big advocate, she or he will defend you. Oh, I thought it was really good. And then you get into this triangulation. If you hired a professional editor and you're paying for it, I think you should take most of the changes and, and go with it. But I do think there may be times when you should actually seek an additional recommendation. If it's something that is essential to the book and you feel like Without that in the book, the book isn't what it should be. And that person's asking, the editor's asking you to remove it. So, you know, an outside perspective can provide valuable insights and really help you further refine your manuscript. At the end of the day, you want to publish the best possible manuscript. 
That's the goal. You want to you want to create something that is just profound. And to do that, I think we have to go through the ringer of the developmental edit. All right. This is our final brief point that we want to close with, and that is the best writers crave developmental editing, much like that author from the Ivy League school that you mentioned at the beginning of this episode. Even some of the best popular writers that you know, like Stephen King, he said, to write is human, to edit is divine. You can't hope to be a good writer without being a devoted reviser. The real work of a writer is done in the revision process. Remember, writing is rewriting. So if you get a developmental editor, remember that you are going to be doing a lot of revising and a lot of rewriting. And remember that this is divine. That's what Stephen King will say. It's divine. It is as close to God as you can get if you are revising. (laughs) I think the way to wrap this up is to say that you and I have beat each other up through the years. Oh my gosh, we've been working together for more than 20 years. And it just feels so common for us. It just feels so natural. And we always say this, but when I send a manuscript to Melissa, something I've written, I, I expect changes. And if I don't get changes, I'm thinking, huh, did she really read this? Did she have time to go through it? Because it has just been part of the expectation of how you create good content and putting it out in the world really requires that third eye, that developmental editor. I liked how you said it earlier. It's that that eye from above. (laughs) (laughs) I guess we want to position ourselves as godlike figures, Dave, as if we're the <laughs> developmental editors. <laughs> so I guess we will encourage you at this point on, do not be afraid of the developmental edit, even if it's scary in some ways, getting feedback. It really is such a gift. It is divine. It is going to help you move your manuscript forward. So it's something that people read and then refer. So it gets read over and over and over again. All right, Dave, let's move to our words of the episode. My word this week is malaise. And malaise refers to a general feeling of discomfort, unease, or or overall bodily weakness. And I'll just put it briefly this week. I was, I had malaise. (laughs) A lot of stuff was happening. My body was not feeling well. My cat passed away. It was just a week full of malaise. All right, Dave, what's your word of the episode? I just want to say that malaise is part of the human condition. If you've never felt malaise, you're not very reflective because I think everybody has had those times where just this kind of general feeling of just, gosh, you know, there's, and there might be something specific, but it's that general feeling of, of, of discomfort, I think that, or just unease about your station in life. So I love that word, malaise. It's a great word. All right. So my word of the episode is brigand, and it rhymes with digging. (laughs) So brigand, B-R-I-G-A-N-D. And a brigand is a thief with a weapon, especially one of a group living in the countryside, stealing from people, traveling through the area. A synonym would be the word bandit. You might say the team was waylaid by a brigand that threatened their lives as he demanded their valuables. Brings to mind like Game of Thrones kind of yes. era and thieves in the countryside. 
I like that even though it has a gand at the end, it rhymes with gin. So thanks for bringing that word to us today, Dave. That's a great word. All right. Well, that's another great episode. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Melissa Parks. And I'm Dave Getz. Now, buckle up, find a developmental editor, and write. Write.